This is Timothy Snyder, and it's the morning of the 19th of September, 2023. The Ukrainian President Volodymyr Zelensky is in the United States today, and he'll be giving a speech in which I'm sure he will be thanking us Americans. And that's all right and good. We've been on the right side. We've helped. But it seems to me that this would also be a good occasion for us to think about how we should be thanking Ukrainians, why we should be thanking Ukrainians, for what we should be thanking Ukrainians. I think in general, we in the United States are in the habit of imagining that other people owe things to us, and it's a little unusual and perhaps a little uncomfortable for us to recognize, to try to recognize, that in fact we owe a debt of thanks, of gratitude to other people. So I want to try to put this in perspective on the occasion of the president's visit. I'm going to list 10 reasons why I at least think we ought to be extending our thanks to Ukrainians. The first and maybe the most obvious is security in Europe. For the past 75 years, uh, this country has been concerned about the possibility of a Soviet and then a Russian offensive in Europe. That possibility has now been realized and it's been resisted by one country, Ukraine. One country has been the victim of a Russian attack, full-fledged Russian attack, and one country is resisting it. That has never happened before since the United States established NATO with its partners. In effect, the entire NATO mission of absorbing and resisting and reversing a Russian attack is now being fulfilled by one country, one country that is not even a NATO member, and it is doing it on the strength of 3% of our defense budget. So this is worth thinking about. For three quarters of a century, trillions and trillions and trillions of dollars have been spent preparing for precisely this scenario. And when the scenario arrived, the scenario was dampened. Europe was made more secure. The world was made more secure thanks to the efforts of one country. It seems to me that that's a reason to be grateful. Related to this, and I'll make this number two, I think we should thank Ukrainians for the audit in practice of our defense budget. Our budget has never, our defense budget has never, ever been audited. The closest thing to an audit, I would say, would be an audit in practice where someone else who's not us uses our systems, uses our weapons. For 3% of the defense budget, the Ukrainians won the Battle of Kyiv, won the Battle of Kharkiv, won the Battle of Kherson, won back about half the territory that Russia invaded in February of 2022. So in practice, we can see that that part of our defense budget has worked. I would suggest that if we could get that 3% up to 6%, the Ukrainians could audit that as well in practice, win some more battles, bring this war to an end. In the meantime, um, it's the rest of the defense budget which has not been audited. The U.S. defense budget has never, ever been audited. 
the Ukrainians have shown us what a little bit of that defense budget can do, and I think for that we should be thankful. Third point, it's, uh, it's also the case that Ukraine has brought us security in the Pacific. So if in the 20th century, the number one security concern of the US was Europe, in the 21st century, it's been China, in particular the scenario of a Chinese attack on Taiwan. What Ukraine is doing for us is making that scenario for war less likely. And this is true in two ways. First, by absorbing Russian military power at terrible cost to themselves, they create a future in which it's easier for the United States to reallocate its own military power towards China. But perhaps more importantly, in the short term, what Ukraine is teaching is that it's very difficult to carry out these kinds of offensive operations in the 21st century. This makes it less likely that China will try such a thing in Taiwan in the first place. And of course, this is very important. Our, 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 our that is, the great American worry, has been that China as a rising power will try something like this. I'm not saying it's impossible, but the Ukrainians have made this much less likely for us. They've done something which we had no ability to do for ourselves. They've shown the Chinese that this kind of thing is difficult. And in that sense, they've reduced the chances of a major, major war, a major confrontation between the two greatest powers in the world. And it seems to me that that's something else that we should be thankful for. My fourth point, or the fourth thing I think we should be grateful to the Ukrainians for, is their attempt to feed the world. This aspect of the, of the war often escapes attention, but it's very important. Before the war started, Ukraine sold, or in some cases, um, was, was the source of donated food for Asia and for Africa. Ukraine has some of the most fertile soil in the world, and that fertile soil is close to ports on the Black Sea. So whether it's the World Food Program buying half of its supplies from Ukraine, or whether it's Ukraine on the world market, much of Africa and much of Asia is fed because of Ukraine. The Russians have made food a weapon in this war by destroying the Novokakovka Dam um, and its irrigation systems, by mining um, huge portions of Ukrainian fields, and by bombing the ports and sending rockets to the ports where, and cruise missiles to the ports where, from which Ukraine, Ukraine tries to export. Uh, starving the world, trying to put the world at Russia's mercy, has been one of the aims of this war. And as we see Ukraine resisting this on a smaller scale, on a larger scale, demining the fields, trying to find new ports, what you see the Ukrainians doing is trying to feed the world. As the Ukrainians try to keep Russian ships in port in the Black Sea, as we've seen in the last few days, what they're trying to do ultimately is get their food out and feed the world. There's only so much food, there's only so much fertile territory, and Ukraine is a very, very important source of the food which keeps people alive and which preserves stability in big swaths of the world. So the, I think it's very important to recognize this and to thank the Ukrainians for this, and if possible, to make it easier for them to do this, to feed the world. Number five, which is also no small thing, 
I think we should be thanking the Ukrainians for making nuclear war less likely. There's a lot of talk about nuclear war around this war, most of it just Russian propaganda or echoes of Russian propaganda. The danger that this war posed with respect to, to a nuclear war is giving into nuclear blackmail. There are nuclear powers around the world. Um, those nuclear powers have fought a large number of wars. They have generally lost those wars, and that's generally been the whole story, and that should be the story this time around too. What's unusual about this particular war is that the nuclear power, Russia, has constantly, constantly, constantly threatened to use these nuclear weapons in an effort to intimidate the Ukrainians and their allies. This is a very dangerous thing. Nuclear blackmail is a very dangerous thing because the moment you give in to it, you're basically saying to everyone around the world, you have to have nuclear weapons, either because you want to blackmail other people or because you need nuclear weapons to resist nuclear blackmail. By resisting both Russian threats and the Russian invasion, Ukraine has made nuclear proliferation much less likely. Had the Ukrainians given in to Russian nuclear blackmail, that would have taught the world that everybody needs nuclear weapons, again, either to threaten people with them or to resist those threats. So by resisting the Russian nuclear blackmail, by, by taking a very difficult decision under stress to resist, the Ukrainians have also made the world safer in this very fundamental way across this very important dimension, which is making nuclear war less likely. The sixth thing that I think we should be thanking the Ukrainians for is giving democracy a chance. Democracy has been in decline for most of this century, and the Russian attack on Ukraine it crossed an important threshold. Now, um, now democracy is a victim of direct violent attack, violent attack which is explicitly against democracy, the violent attack which is meant to hasten this trend of the decline of democracy, to make democracy seem weak and, and laughable and impossible. What the Ukrainians have done by resisting and also resisting in the name of democracy is that they've given us a chance to reverse this trend. They've given us a chance to support a democracy that can sustain itself, that can win this war. They've given us a chance to see that people actually can take risks for democracy, that people actually care about democracy. So if there is a turning point, if we see, if we see uh, a revival of democracy in this century, I think probably looking back, we will see that turning point as being Ukrainian resistance. So I think we need to thank the Ukrainians also for giving democracy a chance. Number seven, we also should thank the Ukrainians for talking about freedom, for talking about freedom in a way which is meaningful. When I'm in Ukraine, everybody I talk to talks about freedom, and they generally mean something which I find touching and true. Namely, that freedom is about a future in which people have the chance to realize their own possibilities, a chance to bring into the world the things that they care about. It strikes me that this is extremely, extremely important at a time when freedom so often is an easy cliche, and a word that comes from our lips without our thinking about what it really, really means. I think it's very important also that the Ukrainians unselfconsciously talk about freedom as something good, talk about freedom as a virtue, 
talk about freedom as something for which it's worth taking risks. And that's my eighth point. I think we ought to be thanking the Ukrainians for their courage. I think it would be a shame if Zelensky makes a visit to the United States in which nobody mentions that he does he did something that a lot of heads of state or government would not do, which was stay in his own city when it was being besieged as the bombs and rockets were falling, as the assassins were approaching. But what Zelensky did is just an example of what Ukrainians have done on a very large scale. They've demonstrated not only moral courage, but physical courage, whether it's, um, whether it's civil society activists who are supporting soldiers in the field, whether it's the soldiers themselves who have died in very large numbers and who have suffered horrible wounds in very large numbers. I was visiting a rehabilitation center in, in Kiev the other week, and it reminded me, and the reminders are everywhere, but this in particular reminded me of the, the courage that people are showing, the risks that they are taking, and they know that there's a reason to take this risk. So at a time when we often find it very difficult to show even a little bit of courage, when we're tempted by conformism, when we're tempted by the idea that it doesn't really matter what we do, I think we should be thankful for this example of courage. Number nine, I think we ought to be thankful for the Ukrainian search for truth, let's call it, for Ukrainian culture, for the fact that people who are, I'm proud to say, my colleagues in one way or another, the journalists, the scholars, the writers, the artists, that they keep doing what they're doing during this war, whether it's reporting about or from the battlefield, whether it's reporting on difficult and controversial issues in the Ukrainian society or government, whether it's writing poetry um, or essays about the war itself, Ukrainians keep going after the truth in their culture. They keep making culture. They've, they've doubled down, if anything, on creativity during this war. And it's sad that we can't thank each of them personally for this because too many of them have been killed doing it. Dozens of Ukrainian reporters have been killed in this war, most of them after volunteering for service in the armed forces. Um, Victoria Amelina, who uh, was a wonderful Ukrainian novelist, was murdered by Russia in June. She can't be thanked personally for all of her good work. But we can thank Ukrainians in general for showing that during a war, in conditions of enormous stress, it's possible to be creative. It's possible to create. The tenth and final thing, although I'm sure I've missed some and I'm sure there are many more things, the tenth and final thing I'm thinking of is that we ought to be thankful to Ukrainians for giving us a chance to be on the right side. For all these reasons, truth, courage, freedom, democracy, reduction of the risk of nuclear war, feeding the world, reduction of risk of war in the Pacific, um, keeping us honest, security in Europe. For all of these reasons, Ukraine has given us a chance to be on the right side. Our people are not in Ukraine dying. Our people are not taking the risks. What we're doing is we're, we're, we're putting ourselves on the right side and we're offering some help. I think this is important for us too, as, as we evaluate our own democracy, as we try to think our way in the 21st century, for us to have a chance to be on the right side, to be on the side of 
resisting an aggressive war to be on the side of resisting an illegal war, to be on the side of resisting a colonial war, to be on the side of risking a war which is full of war crimes of every sort, to be on the side of resisting genocide. It's important that we've had a chance to be on the right side. And for that too, I think we should be grateful.